Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. If that's a veiled criticism about me, I won't hear it, and I won't respond to it. Michael Preston. Plenty of uh, criticism to go around in uh, a certain football game here in my hometown uh, over the weekend. We will talk about that in a little bit. I am Michael Preston. This is the first time the intro like hasn't like rambled on in a while. And I bring it up every single time I ramble on, and now by bringing it up, I've begun to ramble on a little bit. So no, there's just no freaking way I can ever get away. Uh, from rambling on an introduction to this podcast. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. We're going to preview the Oregon Ducks with uh, Addicted to Quack here in a little bit. The number three Oregon Ducks, uh, newly minted in the newest college football playoff rankings. Uh, best team they've had in quite a while, goes without saying. Uh, and then we are going to talk about a little bit about the, the men's basketball opener against Alcorn State. The women are playing as we record this, so we'll get to them uh, next week. Um, but we, I don't want to, you know, they, they look good against San Jose State as I record this. Uh, so we'll talk about them a little bit uh, next week as well. <clears throat> but um, we don't have a Wazoo game to talk about um, that happened last week, obviously, because the team had a very well-deserved week off. In fact, I think as late a bye as any team in the conference had this year. Um, they had it after nine weeks, so they were three-quarters of the way through the season before they finally got, as I said in the last podcast, they got a Saturday just to sit around and play Call of Duty. What a time to play Call of Duty, too, because the new one came out last Friday. It's pretty good, if you haven't picked it up yet. It's pretty good. Uh, it goes back to World War II, so that, that's like my favorite Call of Duty like era to play in. Um, but, it, you know, what a time to get the buy, then you have to go down to Eugene to play the Oregon Ducks, uh, the number three Oregon Ducks. And, uh, you know, a team that has struggled at times this year, I think you saw in the middle of the season, um, after that loss to Stanford, where they really and truly did get pretty good and jobbed. Um, by the officials in that game, they barely they beat Cal by a touchdown. They struggled to get past UCLA, and then they put Colorado away with relative ease. Didn't cover. Winners win. Champions cover. Um, and then kind of just choked the life out of Washington a bit last week. They still only beat them by ten, but I think the game was certainly. Um, a lot further apart than that. Uh, so it's it, they've been an interesting football team to kind of watch all year because I think, for me, they have what I would argue is one of the better wins in college football all year when they went to Columbus and beat Ohio State in the horseshoe. And, I, you know, I, I, that's big for a couple of reasons. A, any time a Pac-12 team can go away and beat a Big Ten team, um, that's a pretty big deal, but especially to do it against Ohio State and especially to do it at the Horseshoe where Ohio State just does not lose football games. It just does not happen that frequently there. Um, so that loss to Stanford that Oregon has on their schedule is completely befuddling to me, especially after seeing what Utah did to them last week and especially just seeing how that might be David Shaw's worst Stanford team. I, I I don't know why they were kind of a trendy pick to be okay this year. They look horrible. Really bad. A team that Washington State should not have let back into the game that they played against them uh, last month. 
and that Wazoo was certainly the much better team in. Um, so that that one's confounding me a bit, but it's still a team I think that Washington State. You know, look, they're the number three team in the country, and I certainly think that they deserve to be in the top five or ten. But it's not as if this is a team that Washington State does not have a chance against. We know the Washington State defense is better against the run, and that's certainly the better we'll say side of the offense when you have a guy like Travis Dye there, um, when you have a guy like a quarterback like Anthony Brown who can move the ball with his feet. Oregon will not have C.J. Verdell, but still, um, you know, that that is the better aspect to their offense, and it is the aspect of offense that Washington State has better is better suited to stop. You've seen a Washington State defense really steadily improve, again, with those five takeaways against Arizona State. Um and offensively, they are not as, you know, not unlike Washington, they are not so one-track-minded in terms of sucking consistently um, <laughs> to not put up a few more points against Oregon. I think their longest, what was, like, Washington's longest scoring drive in this game? I need to see this because I have to confirm this. Their longest scoring drive was... Okay, so they went 75 yards in the fourth quarter to close it at 24-16. But the the touchdown they had before that was after an interception, and it went six yards. So... <laughs> like... Oregon's defense is good. They are not that good, but Washington's offense is maybe that bad. Um, so Washington State's going to have a chance to move the football when you have a guy like Max Borgie and Deion McIntosh, and it was great to see Deion McIntosh back week before against Arizona State. When you have a much better quarterback in Jaden Delora who can move the ball with his feet when he needs to do that and also is a much better quarterback. I mean, I you know, it, it's fair to say that he might be the best quarterback um, that Oregon has seen since they played Ohio State. Dorian Thompson Robinson against UCLA, yeah, you know, maybe up there, but again, I think Jaden Delora is probably one of the better quarterbacks um, that they've seen in, in pretty much all year. And then there's just the fact that for whatever reason there is, and I don't, you know, I don't know whether it's voodoo, I don't know if it's a a curse from a witch in the 16th century or whatever, but Washington State just kind of seems to have organs number of it. Even in 2019, when Washington State was down, it took until the final gun for Oregon to beat them in that football game. And I, you know, forget last year, because last year was last year, and it was a weird friggin' year, and we don't need to think about it that much, because, you know, I've said a few times on this program, is that 2020 was its own special little flower that I don't, I don't want to take too seriously too many of the results. But for whatever reason, Washington State seems to just have like this like this voodoo curse Oregon seems to have it with wazoo and so like for like i it's so weird like that that's kind of what's leading me down the path of thinking at least washington state has an outside chance at this football game i think when the line opened at 16 that was way too many points it crashed down to 14 pretty quickly after that 16's way too many points for this football game because <clears throat> excuse me there's just you know, th there is something about Wazoo to Oregon that it's like oil and vinegar. They cannot figure it out. Now, this is Oregon's best team that they've had in quite a while, and they have Kayvon Thibodeau um, over on that side of the football. They have Noah Sewell on defense, 
and you know Thibodeau is a top ten NFL draft pick in all likelihood, and Sewell is pretty darn good himself. Um, but this is still a defense that Washington State can move the ball against at least a little bit. And I don't think they've shown a proclivity. You know, they proved it against ASU. ASU's got an excellent defense, and they proved they can move the football just fine. And I think the other thing is, too, that, you know, unlike under the air raid when this offense had a, you know, kind of that penchant for getting constipated at times, that at least, you know, that to my thinking, you haven't seen that from this offense really this year. You've seen it against Utah State. That was deeply frustrating. You saw it against USC, but at least the last four to five weeks, you know, it kind of come and go a little bit, but you never really get to a point where it just looks like with this offense that just nothing is going to happen, like the way it could look at times with Mike Leach's air raid. Because there's enough that this offense can do, you know, to get the football moving and enough different things they can do to try to make something else work. So I'm relatively confident in saying that Washington State's going to be able to move the football. The question is whether they're going to be able to do it enough. Right, because Oregon's going to run the football a lot. They're going to try to limit the number of drives that Washington State has a chance to get their hands on the football to score. That's kind of always been the MO against any Wazoo team because they're offensive, you know, offense first, so you want to limit the possessions here. Um, it's going to be interesting, and I, I, I don't want them to try to force it too much to try to think they have to score on every drive. Now, that might very well be true, but that that's where you might get into trouble a little bit. And I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but it's basically my very roundabout way of saying they have a chance here. And it's wild to me to say that given everything that's gone on in the last three weeks with this football team, this program, this school, I just, you get the feeling that, you know, when the players talk about needing to be together and playing for each other and knowing that no, no one person is bigger than the program, that a lot of this is just... We're going to come out here and we're going to ram it up your butt. Like everybody that doubted us, everybody. And that that can be a unifying thing for a locker room like that. Whether it's true or not. Whether, you know, whether people doubted you or not. If you need to make up a boogeyman, then make up a boogeyman. But so much of it is just, we're going to come out here and we're going to ram it straight up your butt, man. We're just going to ram it right up there. And Jake Dickert, I, I mean, look... That result against Arizona State was incredible. I mean, it was mind-boggling. And I don't know how much of this is Jake Dickert, Brian Smith. I don't know how much of this is that defensive staff, whatever. If it's the players, whatever it is. But if you keep that mojo going, I mean, look, you're sitting on five wins right now. You need to win one. You're very likely to beat Arizona. And frankly you have a pretty dang good chance to beat Washington this year. And it, it just boggles the mind to say that. If they'd kept John Donovan, it would have been even better. But um, but you you have a very realistic chance to win seven games by the end of the year. And I, I just I don't think the odds are that stacked against them in this one. And maybe this is me putting on Homer glasses, and maybe this is me like just not seeing it clearly. But I just... I don't often get, we try to shy away from this crap on this show, and and I don't a lot, even though I say I do, but it just, it something feels weird to me. Do you know what I mean? 
Like something, like when you think about a football game and you just look at it and you go, okay, Oregon should be whipping our butt. But, <laughs> but I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Something just, maybe it's the enchiladas I had tonight. Maybe it's that that I'm feeling in my gut right now. But it just, something's there, man. Something's there. Something's there the way it was for Arizona against Cal. Now, granted, that was a lot of... Who knows what's going on in Berkeley right now with those COVID holdouts and them having to reschedule the game against SC. Um, Like, some, I, I don't know. It just, like... It feels like the stars are kind of aligning here. The stars are aligning for me uh, to be roasting the University of Washington. Academically prowess win there uh where jimmy lake got a little physical with one of his student athletes and is now sitting out their game this coming weekend uh fired his offensive coordinator um and it's just going so gee golly gosh darn well over there and you truly hate to see it you hate can you can you see my smile through your speakers through your heads phones whatever you're listening to me on right now can you see that I'm like unable to stop smiling right now? Because part of what I love so, so very much about this, so much about this, is that Jimmy Lake was such a cataclysmic, we try to keep it friendly here, a cataclysmic butthead. That's about as polite as I can keep it. After every Apple Cup, and he, after no other game every year was he as big of a butthead as he was after that game, because he took such pleasure in shutting down the air raid. And it is, he is just bearing his rear end for everybody to see right now. Because to me, and I, I wanted to talk about this later, but we'll talk about it now. And I, I think the punishment fits the crime of being suspended a game for what he did to that player. And if you haven't seen it, go look it up. I don't want to try to describe the video and describe it incorrectly to you. But, you know, he was getting into it with an Oregon player and they were just about to get separated when Jimmy Lake comes roaring in, kind of shoves a referee aside, pushes the kid away, and then hits him in the face mask with a play card or something. And, you know, look, I get a strong reaction to a player getting into it with an opposing player and possibly costing you 15 yards in a game where you truly know that those yards are going to be extremely valuable to you. Um... But I, I think there was a little extra mustard there for me, or it or it kind of took on a different tone because you realize how much pressure Jimmy Lake has is now put himself under and how evident it must be to everybody else that he cannot do that job. And that he is now kind of taking it out. I, I don't even know the kid's name, but he's kind of taking it out on that kid a little bit fairly or unfairly, and it probably unfairly. So it had that kind of undertone to me where it's not just like a normal coach. Like if you had seen Nick Rolovich doing that or if you had seen Mike Leach doing that, like that's kind of in character for them. It's more the physical touching of a player in that manner and in that situation that kind of irked me a little bit. Um, But, uh, you know, again, you just, you hate to see things melting down over there. You really do. 
Okay. We talked about that a little bit. We rambled a little bit about the Oregon game, so let's get a preview of the Oregon Ducks next. We're going to talk a little bit about the men's basketball game as well. Not like too terribly many thoughts on it because it's Alcorn State and whatever else, but we'll talk about that after we preview the Ducks coming up next on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Coug Center Hour, we need to talk about the fourth, well, not the fourth-ranked Oregon Ducks anymore, but we're recording the podcast before the new uh, college football playoff rankings come out, and I they'll probably be three, but we don't know for sure. So I'm going to say fourth for now uh, with Hithloday from Addicted to Quack joining us. Uh, I My first question right off the top, and because I haven't had this feeling in a very long time, and you're more used to it than I am. What's it like to beat Washington? Like, I just, I just need to live vicariously through you for a minute to understand what's that, what that's like. Uh, well, it is a delightful feeling, obviously. Um, and, and but this was like a, a super special one that I'm not sure um, either of these teams have experienced because now it's a total fire sale in Seattle uh, with their coaches. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I anticipated that going into the season. I, I in my preseason interview or preview um, back during the summer, I think I called this the worst coaching staff in the Pac-12, and I got some derision for it. But um, I don't know, man. We're we're about six firings into the Pac-12 season. I don't think we're done. I I'm just I it's just it's so I it's so lovely that you're able to. <laughs> At least somebody up here can beat them, and well, actually Oregon State did too, for that matter. So let's make. I would like to make it an even three. Yeah. Uh, by the end of the I year. mean, I tweeted out yesterday that, that we should all be, you know, everybody in the Pac-12 ought to pour out a can of Bush Light for the Cougs because they never got to play John Donovan in an Apple Cup. You know, like two, <laughs> they had him for two years and Wazoo missed twice. Um, um, yeah. On the other hand, you all get to go up against the head coach Bob Gregory in the Apple Cup this year, which... Um, yeah, man. Uh, uh, go Cougs. We're, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna find out if Jimmy makes it to the Apple Cup. He's suspended for ASU, but I, yeah, we're, I, <laughs> I would laugh if he got fired before that. Um, I think, you know, obviously most Oregon fans pretty happy uh, with this year. I mean, success is obviously something that's come by the Ducks. No, no, uh, Oregon fans are never happy with anything no, that ever happened. No, ever. never, oh, no, ever. It's all doom and gloom. It's fire all the coaches. You would not think that this team is 8-1 and one and, and ranked in the top 10. Well, let's start let's let's start there because like what's you know obviously i think the result in columbus surprised me and the result in palo alto surprised me and a few close games uh after that game against stanford for you and not talking about people who are you know unreasonable obviously for you how are you feeling at this point in the season with this team well, look, I describe myself as an analyst. My job is to do film review. I chart uh, every game that Oregon plays. I chart every game that Oregon's opponents play. And I have sort of my own internal advanced uh, stat system because I you know, I can verify what the proper box score and play-by-play is, mm-hmm. which incidentally, like about 10 to 15% of the official, like if you go to ESPN and look at their play-by-play, like they're missing like a lot of play. Like it's weird. Anyway, uh and so what I do is like I build out what I think the fundamental strength of each team is, you know, in all four quadrants of football from scrimmage, right? You know, pass offense, pass defense, rush offense, rush defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an analyst, uh, you know, the conclusion that you come to is that Oregon is a fundamentally very strong team, you know, at, at like pure football stuff, you know, how well they block and tackle, you know, how well they run the ball, how much, how well mm-hmm. they defend passes, et cetera. Um, 
and in fact, you know, looking you know back at Oregon's schedule and forward at what's coming, with the exception of Ohio State, where it was kind of a push. They were better in two things and worse in two things. Oregon's been a better team, uh, you know, in fundamental football, you know, than every team that they'll play, and spoiler alert, than every team that's on their schedule. Although some of them, it's a close run thing. Um, and what's infuriating as a fan. Uh, is that, you know, the scoreboard doesn't reflect it. And, and the reason, I, you know, I hope I don't come across as like a, a stupid Oregon homer for saying this. I don't think it's super controversial. Oregon leaves a lot of points on the board. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you know, they're often in position to, to to have a bigger, you know, score, bigger margin of victory. And then they just, it just doesn't happen for one reason or another. You know, like mm-hmm. take this Washington game that we've been joking around about, like, twice uh, towards the end of the game Oregon is on the one yard line right you know and, and, and like you know once they get pulled back on a, a very silly you know penalty where Alex Borsak the center is blocking too hard for the Pac-12 refs taste you know and another time the clock just runs out you know and it's like uh, you know they, they could have just as easy you know a, a just as easily hung 40 on Washington, right? But instead, it looks like, you know, a 10-point win, right? Um, and, like, i got to tell you, other than that Ohio State game where they were really were extracting every point they possibly could, uh, every single game is like that. 7 to 14 points just gets left on the table for Oregon. Um, and there's two ways to take that, I think. You know, if you're a, a gambler and you're looking to take the under in Oregon games, then, you know, go for it, man. Um, because, you know, you can tell yourself that, that, that that's just who Oregon is, that every single time they're, they're just, you know, the scoreboard is not going to light up. Um, mm-hmm. The other way to take it, and the one that I, the way that I tend to take it, uh, is that, yeah, Oregon's a fundamentally stronger team than most of the teams that they play, and that you know, and that it takes silly stuff um, to, to to you know for for them not to be blowing teams out. But it, you know, it's very difficult to beat them. You know, just straight up line up across from the other team and play football against them. Like that's very tough. You know, you're probably you know accepting truly egregious stuff like the end of that Stanford game. Right. Um, you know, it, it's which we don't need to get into, but I think anybody who watched that game knows that there's some. There were very bad calls game. at the end. Yes, very, very. very uh, bad calls. That's your your words. Um, the <laughs> uh, my, my my point being that accepting extremely egregious, silly stuff. You yeah. know, it's difficult to beat Oregon lining up and playing pure football. Um, right. You know, th- that's how I feel about this team. Uh, no C.J. Verdell, he is hurt. Has the offense looked any different without him? I mean, I think, we, you know, Wazoo fans obviously know Travis Dye and how good he is. And Anthony Brown, the quarterback for Oregon, also runs the football um, quite a bit. Has there really been any change to the offense uh, since he left and Travis Dye's been the guy they've had to lean on? Because I think for me, it's, it's obviously looked fairly similar, but there might be something that I'm missing, you know, because of what Verdell provided. Um, but Dye himself is a pretty dang good running back. Yeah, I would say the answer is no. I mean, there are some mm-hmm. subtle differences, but they don't really bear getting into. It's awfully deep in the weeds. Um, and it's nice because Oregon has a pretty deep um, running back room uh, as well um, in in terms of, you know, experience, you know, there's Byron Cardwell who's been getting a lot of carries, uh, Seven McGee, who's a you know, real shifty back, Trey Benson, there's a couple others. Um, uh, 
you know, n- none of them had the experience that Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell uh, do. But, you know, Cardwell and McGee have been getting a bunch of carries in the last couple of games. I don't, there's no real significant change to the rushing mm-hmm. game, no. And, Frank, to be honest, I've always thought that tra- Travis Dye was a, 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 the better back um, than C.J. Verdell is. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, especially when they were younger, like um, – Die was just easier to bring down. Like that was really what Verdell brought to the table more than Die did was that he could take a hit and, and keep going. But Die's really he's he's gotten better about that in this year. So really, I you know I I love C.J. Verdell and I don't want to sound dismissive of him or anything, but like no, I I don't really see any fall off there. Mm-hmm. I know I there I you know we talked a little bit earlier about the kind of consternation with Oregon fans. Something's always wrong, right? But Anthony Brown doesn't seem to have the support like in terms of his quarterback play that a lot of Oregon quarterbacks have in the past is there something yeah. like is there some truth to that because i you know i oh, yeah. we obviously all watch Justin oh, no, totally Herbert and everybody else but so there is he's just not quite there compared to you know it's maybe yeah. not fair to compare him to the you know a top draft pick but he's just he's just not quite there in terms of how we've seen yeah. quarterbacks no, no, that's that's not what i'm you know when i'm talking about silly stuff you know right. i'm not talking about you know brown's deficiencies brown has deficiencies here it, it's mm, it's a little more complex than this. Um, the here's the deal. Like, first of all, just as a pure pocket passer, you know, the Tom Brady stuff, stand in the pocket, survey the downfield, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, make an accurate pass. That I would say he's he is okay at best. You know, he's he's not doesn't light the world on fire. On the other hand, like when he makes that throw, it's an NFL throw. Like, there's a reason why Urban Meyer, of all people, thought this guy was the best quarterback on the transfer market, you know, back in, in, in 2019-2020. And and for three years, he was the starter at Boston College, which you may recall had A.J. Dillon as their running back. So, like, they're, for all three of those years, and, like, their entire offense was run, 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 big play-action pass, and Brown was the one throwing those. And... For some reason, you know, first couple of games at Oregon, he just didn't have it. Like, he wasn't connecting on those deep balls, and, like, his accuracy sort of just wasn't there, and it was very, like, bizarre. Um, and and then he seemed to have gotten it back in the last couple of games. Against UCLA, against Colorado, he was suddenly just, you know, a pretty accurate quarterback. You know, like, mm-hmm. where did the where did this come from or where did it go? You know, I don't know. And then the Washington game is also sort of this anomaly because it's played in the rain, right? Like, you know, there's definitely, he throws a dumb interception. This is true. The rest of the game is sort of like, that's the rain. Um, you know, nobody was going to throw well in that game. I, I sort of think that he's, I don't know, you know, like I said, it's a it's a mixed bag. I don't think the guy's a Heisman candidate. I think he's the worst quarterback in the world. Mm-hmm. There's here's the thing that complicates factors. Uh, game three, uh, the the week after the Ohio State game, he takes a hit um, right before the end of the half uh, or at the end of the first half against Stony Brook, and he walks off the field and he seems a little rattled by it. And I don't want to speculate about his health or anything, but he sits out for the second half of that game. And then the next two weeks are, are Arizona and Stanford, in which I'm not talking about the downfield passing stuff. I'm talking about the Joe Moorhead RPO stuff, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like he's got to do read option stuff and RPOs and like he's got to be reading you know, and like sending guys into motion and that sort of stuff. And it's like, and, and which was all stuff that he was for the first couple of games and has been in the last couple of games very good at. Suddenly, in those two weeks, Arizona and Stanford, it's like he can't do it, you know, and it's very weird and again i don't want to speculate over his health but like the most logical conclusion is like he was suffering some lingering effects from that hit let's just leave that 
the happy news, and so that's really when Oregon fans were losing their mind about this guy. It's like, well, he can't hit a detailed pass, and he can't operate the offense. Like, why are we keeping this guy around at all? We have a five-star crew freshman named Ty Thompson put him in. Um, and even I was sort of on on that. Too. You know, I'm usually a fairly conservative, you know, careful what you wish for kind of guy about trading, you know, switching quarterbacks. And even right. I was like, you know, dude. Um, the happy news that I can report is in the last several games, he seems to be over whatever effect that was that I'm hypothesizing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's back to operating the offense in terms of the RPO and the, you know, the read option and running the ball and, and just being cool on the pot. Like scrambling is another thing I put in that bucket, you know, like knowing which way to scramble when you're getting in trouble, that sort of stuff. So like you add all that up and you get like 75% of an elite quarterback. You know what I mean? Like he operates the offense really well now. Uh, he sometimes makes NFL throws and sometimes makes really dumb throws. And it's like, that's, you know, if you're wondering how a team can be eight and one and ranked in the college football playoff, and yet Oregon fans are losing their mind and tearing their hair out, you know, every game, like that's how that happens. You have a talented team with 75% of an elite quarterback. Noah Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau are two names a lot of Wazoo fans are going to know on Oregon's defense. Noah Sewell just because he's tortured Wazoo so much and Kayvon Thibodeau because he's likely going to be a top five draft pick uh, come next spring. Give me one other name we need to be looking out for on the defense because, you know, obviously we know the big ones, but there's got to be somebody else that we need to be worried about on a pretty talented Oregon defense. I think probably, well, you named a first-level and a second-level defender, so I'll give you a third-level sure. defender. Probably the most, uh, the best Oregon player at the third level is Mikhail Wright, who's a cornerback. Um, now, college football fans never get to watch cornerbacks play because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if a cornerback is doing his job really well, you never see him, right? The pass never goes against him. Um Mikhail Wright's maybe the best cornerback in the Pac-12, maybe, you know, uh, up there with Trent McDuffie um, from from the hated team from Seattle. Um, And and again, you're never going to know it because you're never going to watch the guy. But, like, he's whoever he's going to be on. I sort of expect Harris in this game. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe Jackson. Sort of depends on how they're going to deploy the wide receivers. It'll be interesting to find that out. Um, but like, forget it, man. Whoever he's on is he's not going to have a catch. Um, it, what will be interesting to watch is the rest of the secondary. Is sort of like I, I don't know. Wazoo's offense has been interesting to to watch. Like halftime at the Oregon State game, where they're like, maybe we should dig out some of these, some of these air raid plays. You know, <laughs> like. Um, the sort of you know merged uh, Wazoo offense, which, you know, it was never really a pure run and shoot like Mouse Davis would be running, right? Like there's already a bunch of like adaptations and, and sort of pistol stuff um, that Rolovich brought with him from Nevada, and, and then you know they've also sort of been incorporating a lot of like air raid pastry concepts too. Like yeah, this is a real. I mean, it's going to be a fun game to watch, I think, and like. And, you know, as fun and exciting as Noah Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau are, I sort of don't think that they're super relevant to the way this game is played because the ball is out of Delores' hands so fast. I really don't think that that Thibodeau is going to have, like, a million-sack day or anything like that. It's just not the nature of this offense. Um, It's going to be, in my opinion, decided on the back end. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Oregon's DBs hold up. Speaking of it being decided, um, I I kind of accept last year as just a whatever year because nothing was regular. It was all completely yeah. off, and I you know throw, throw the yeah too. throw yeah throw the twenty twenty season out. 
Oregon has had tr- trouble with Wazoo, and I don't know why. I'm I've been frankly fine with it um, <laughs> in that way, and a lot of Wazoo fans have been. Um, but give me a prediction for how Saturday goes. I think this is probably the best Oregon team Wazoo's seen in a while in terms of you know quality of a Wazoo team. This is about on par with 2019. Uh, for Oregon, how do you feel like this goes in Eugene on on I almost said Sunday on Saturday? Uh, well, they, uh, Vegas pended at a, at a 16 point line, which seems awfully high to me. Yeah, I thought that know, was a given lot. How many? Yeah, you know, given how many close games that Oregon plays, and like this is the type of team that Oregon, like just the structure of Oregon's defense under Tim DeRuiter, um, who came over from Cal this year. Um, the structure of Oregon's defense is sort of a you know a bend don't break. I kind of hate using that term, but you know, just as a shorthand, you know, they they tend to give up the underneath stuff and try to force you to march the field. And the thing about Wazoo is that they like call that bluff. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, fine, I'll pass for ten yards every time, and we'll only have to do that like seven times to go down the field and i get three chances every try like yeah um it, it you know that's generally the type you know a it would be the reason i would identify for oregon has had a tough time with wazoo in the past and b it's sort of what i think is going to happen you know in this game um i think that um if i'm looking at fundamental strengths like i said uh, to start out with uh, you know i think that um oregon's run efficiency is is astronomical the last four games they've been charting a 75 percent run success rate on offense which Mm -hmm. is i mean seeing that one time is insane seeing it four times in a row is like i'm losing i'm falling out of my chair like it's crazy Mm -hmm. um and I've, i've always been of the opinion that if you can run the ball the rest of the game is irrelevant because that's all you're going to do is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. It's what they did against Washington. In fact, it was funny if you look at the half, you know, the splits at halftime. Oregon's about 50-50 balanced run and pass against Washington uh, in the first half, and then they're sort of like, well, this isn't working. And, and Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator, learns his lesson. And here's what you know: outside of garbage time, it's 28 runs and four passes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he sort of like he, he was at least you know by halftime smart enough to be like, you know, screw it, we have such an advantage running the ball and, and then you saw that like you, they took like nine minutes off the clock you know to you know because that, that's what you can do if you can run the ball effectively so that those are the two you know pieces of the puzzle i think you know to, to, to seeing this game is i think that oregon's probably going to give up a lot through the air um and just try to like you know hold up in the red zone you know and force some field goals instead of touchdowns and then is going to try to go on like nine minute run the ball drive yeah um and just sort of try to starve uh, Wazoo of the oxygen. Um, that, that's that's how I think the shape of this game looks like. I'm going to be interested to see how it turns out on Saturday. It's always, for whatever reason, a very close one with Oregon. Hitful Day from Addicted to Quack. Thank you so very much for the time and the insights, sir. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. Good to be here.
We're going to save uh, an awful lot of our basketball analysis, uh, even though Craig and Jeff do a much better job of it on podcast versus everyone uh, than I do here. But we'll save a lot of that for you know later on, you know, next week and the week after. Big game against UC Santa Barbara next week. Um, and then non-conference games against Boise State, another non-conference game against Boise State as well, and then those two Pac-12 games uh, early in December. Uh, be in Pullman, December 4th. I will be two for that game uh, against USC. Um, and and yeah, I'm going to Pullman for the first time in like almost two years. It's wild, man. Like I can't believe it's been that long for me. Um, so opener against Alcorn State today at noon, like noon, because it, it was part of the Pac-12 tip-off thing thingy and they made cal and ucsd play next and then they made cal get their butt kicked by ucsd um in that spot so not great bob um but uh an expected result there washington state winning 85 67 uh leading the way um for washington state uh, was Tyrell Roberts, the newcomer at guard. Uh, he had 16 points on 6 of 12 shooting. Jefferson Koulibaly had 13. He hadn't seen him play yet, so that was lovely. TJ Bamba had um, 11 points as well. was 2 of 3 from beyond uh, the 3-point line. I'm, like, I haven't talked about basketball again. Like, I'm having to get used to all these terms. Um, but, I, you know, I think... <laughs> Crap, just falling apart in here. I'm leaving that in. Like, I'm leaving that in. You know I'm too real. I'm too real. I'm too real. Say it again. Maybe they'll believe you, Michael. Um, Ken and Wynn, you know, I think that first half was very indicative of the fact that this is a team that has not played a lot of basketball together. You had Muhammad Gay out there. You had Tyrell Roberts. You had Michael Flowers out there. That's three brand new starters because Effie Abagidi is on was on a minute limitation while he comes back from a knee injury. Cooley Bali looked good in 18 minutes. Bamba looked good again in 14 minutes. Very nice to have Andre Yakamovsky back um, after his dalliance with transferring uh, to what was it like University of Maryland or not? But not not Maryland, Maryland. There was like somewhere else out there. Um, so it's nice to have him back. But you know, a team that looked disjointed at times. Uh, 14 turnovers, still not great um, as well. But assisted on 16 of their 25 buckets. Um, and pulled down 46 rebounds, uh, including 19 offensive to get all those second chances, is always really good. Um, so, again, I think the point here is that, you know, like I said, these comments are going to be very brief on the basketball game because this game against Alcorn State was at noon on a Tuesday. And you had three brand-new starters, and you had one of the other guys who would ordinarily be your starter was your first man off the bench. He was on a minute limit, and he hit it right at 22 minutes, which is what the coaches wanted from him. DJ Robin didn't play a ton. You're not going to get really a feel for the rotation here because I think that's what we're most interested in, right? We're interested in what happens with Roberts, Flowers, Williams, Robin, Cooley, Bali, those guys at guard. We didn't even see Miles Rice, so don't know what's going on there. Um... So you're going to find out a lot more about that later on. But I think the big takeaway from this game, at least to me, was, yeah, they went out and did what they should have done, which was beat Alcorn State by 18 points. You know, Alcorn State is a is a swack team. They are probably not very good. And so you should have gone and done that, and they did. 
So take that from it and know that, you know, I think, you know, you listened to that interview with Kyle Smith last week and he's a passionate guy and they're going to practice tomorrow and he's going to find things to clean up and, you know, he's going to find stuff he wasn't happy with. But scoring 85 points against any team is always something to be pretty pleased with because 85 points is pretty hard to come by in 40 minutes. That's that's pretty darn good. So, um, you know, again, they play Seattle later this week. The first one, the real kind of litmus test is next week against UC Santa Barbara because and uh, you have Winthrop uh, later on as well this year. They were pretty good preseason on Ken Palm, if I'm recalling correctly. Boise State was as well. Um, but UC Santa Barbara is that first kind of big, like, kind of like, let's see how good this team really is. If they can put away a UC Santa Barbara team um, and not maybe not cruise, but they can win by double digits and win comfortably. So that'll be the first big test um, for them next week. And I think um, to really, you know, this team, I think the one thing that really did also strike me, and we'll, we'll finish up with this because I've just been rambling for almost five minutes now, is that when, you know, it's just a one-game sample, but this team does look very deep. It 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 does not look like, you know, in Kyle Smith's first year when the starters, when C.J. Ellaby and Isaac Bonton were not on the floor, you worried a little bit. You were a little bit frightened of what would happen to that basketball team this is not the case for this team like you you are not like there is so much depth everywhere on this team that yeah it's going to take them a while to figure out they might you know hiccup every once in a while but this looks like a pretty solid basketball team from the first guy to the 10th guy on the bench um so from that standpoint it's so very nice to see that in pullman because how often do you really see it so Kyle Smith's done that at the very least. So I'm very interested to see where this team goes. I think we're all interested to see where this team goes, and we're so excited for it because, like, Joe Lenardi had him as the last team in the NCAA tournament. Um, and they got a shot. They got a real legitimate shot to get to the NCAA tournament and be the first team to do it in 13 years. And I cannot tell you how, I mean, God, as a guy who, when he was in school, that the basketball team was the thing, um how much babysitting I would require for the baby while the Cougs are playing <laughs> because I would, I would be inconsolable um, and just screaming and yelling and up and down with everything that happened. My mood would look like one of those, like what was the thing at the carnival or the fair that like the ride that just goes straight up and down on like little air boosters or whatever. That would be me. That would be my mood the whole time. Thunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything time right now. Just like I need to get back into basketball form a little bit. I apologize for subjecting you to that segment. Like I need to get back into it a little bit. But I wanted to talk about it a little bit. You, you gotta get you gotta get through the bad for the good. And this is the good. This is a good dunderhead of the week. Um, this one stays close to home. In fact, it stays next to the microphone. It, it go it goes to me. Like I, I talked about Jimmy Lake earlier, and God, we could do a segment on that every week. I could talk about John Wilner suggesting Justin Wilcox as the head coach at UW and all the reasons that doesn't work, but keep beating that drum, buddy. Um, no, this one goes out to me um, because um, my wife works extremely hard. She she just busts her butt on a daily basis at work. She works 60, 70 hour weeks, and like she. She sets the standard for what it means to work hard. And she's a great mom, and so she took 
uh, three weeks off here in November, just as like a little mini sabbatical, just to get away from work for a little bit. And I, being a great husband, so I'm also great, um, surprised her with a trip to San Francisco to see a couple of her friends. Uh, last weekend, she left Friday night. We'll come back Sunday night. So, okay, well, I'll enjoy some time with my my daughter, and we'll hang out and do all that other stuff. Saturday was fine. Uh, we um, had a great time. Went on some went on a walk. Went played at the playground. Went over to Grandma's for dinner. But uh, I neglected to remember that when I sent my wife away for the weekend, that Saturday was fallback. And if you have a child, <laughs> you might know what that does to their body clock. Now, the baby has gone through this once, uh, but she was, what, about three and a half months old the last time she did? And so she was getting up every, you know, three to four hours anyway. So how much did it really affect her? I mean, a little bit, but not much. Um, I got woken up at a quarter to five in the morning on Sunday. And then a one-hour nap at noon. <laughs> Guys, or gals, for that matter, don't send your spouse away on fallback or spring forward. Those weekends are just off-limits for solo parenting. Like, the other 50 weekends? Sure, get out of here. Those two... Absolutely not. Tender end of the week. Yours truly. Ask Michael anything time. Learn from my mistake. Never, never send this spouse away on that weekend. Ask Michael anything time. We're going to start out with Marcus Alchemist. I don't even remember how I said your name. <laughs> the other week Marcus like it was horrible buddy um as for the question icicle Christmas lights or multicolor won't go up until after Thanksgiving of course that's the right call you're uh I'm okay making an exception um you know with like a super late Thanksgiving so like if Thanksgiving is like the 27th or later I'm fine doing it the weekend before um but as a general rule I put them up uh, Black Friday or Saturday after I always go multicolor I don't like just like white lights on the outside of my house or or like the you know I think you're talking about the icicle lights like the ones like are, that are you know strung from a string and they kind of hang down like icicles obviously I like multicolor um a lot better and like those um those older bulbs like from the 80s or 90s that just suck on electricity and are like <laughs> they are like scorching hot to the touch, but I love those because it's always so wet and cold here anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, at not Justin Kayser, I am not Justin Kayser. Who is William Wellen and why should we care about his opinion? We seen that guy on the bird app today that said like Wazoo wasn't good because we only beat Alcorn State by 18. I, I, and then Colorado lost, who he's a fan of. I don't know. At Chris McKinter, Chris McKinter, favorite Seinfeld character that isn't the main four. Do you guys, do you guys want me to admit something? Do you want me to? Like half of you are gonna unsubscribe. I don't like Seinfeld. I don't watch it at all. Like, maybe I would like it now, but my dad hated it so much as a kid, and I just can't get back into it. So, I'll go with Newman though. I nicknamed my mom's cat Newman because she's such a pain in the butt. 
Uh, sorry, he's calling Newman. Uh, at Luke Erickson 10, Luke Erickson, thoughts on Jimmy Lake's strike on one of his players as resulting in one game suspension and the overall downfall of the UW football pro program as a whole. And we kind of talked about that part earlier, but uh, or the first part earlier, uh, but the downfall of the program, it's been wild to see that Lake cannot recruit without the cover of Chris Peterson. It is very clear Chris Peterson was covering a lot of this dude's flaws. Like, a lot of them. At Ben Wyman. Ben Wyman, any any favorite memories from the last NCAA tournament team in 2008? So many good players. Well, I mean, God, I mean, just everything about that year. My wife and I started dating that year. Um, I think my favorite moment that entire year, though, besides the fact that I was the Kevin Love butt sweat guy, um, was actually the very next game against USC when we all chant when the entire stadium chanted OJ's guilty when OJ Mayo fouled out. That was up there for me. That was right up there for me. At G Foster Fit, Garrett Foster, best 50-ish dollar bottle of scotch. You know, I don't drink enough scotch to, like, tell you. I think Glenn Livet 10 is about 50 bucks. Glenn Fittich is around that, too. And they're, they're perfectly fine bottles of scotch. Um, if you're looking for a really good $50 bottle of bourbon, I always recommend the Woodenville Straight Bourbon. That's really, really good. I need to branch out a little bit more, though, too. And uh, if you're just going for, like, a very drinkable, relatively priced whiskey, Pendleton is always up there for me. At Totes McStose, when is the appropriate, or Pumpkin Stose Latte, excuse me, when is the appropriate time to start playing Christmas music year-round is the correct answer. Now, I go same rule as the Christmas lights. Day after Thanksgiving. You might even get away with the the day before Thanksgiving a little bit, but I need to have Christmas decorations. Like I like playing it for the first time when Christmas decorations go up. Like that's the, the fun point. At WSU Brady twenty seven, Gary Payton the second Stan account. How do you pronounce caramel? Why is yours the correct way and others are wrong? Caramel, not caramel or caramel. Yeah, I say caramel. What do I say? I say caramel. Yeah, caramel, not caramel. You know, I don't say caramel because there's an A in between the R and the M, and I feel like it gets lost if you say caramel. At Bryce Hendrick, 14, Bryce Hendricks. Thoughts on the future starting lineup for the Cougs? Obviously, Effie will find himself starting, but Gay versus Jackson might end up being a fight. Do we think three guards stays the norm, or does one of DJ, Andre, or Bamba work into the starting group? Bryce, buddy, you know so much more than me. <laughs> We're going to find out, though. I would love to see... Abagidi and Gay on the floor at the same time. How how great would that be? That would be incredible. At Rick D. Flores, I don't know what I'm doing. Neither do I, buddy. Um, does a straw have one hole or two? Oh my god. <laughs> Whoa, hold on a second. Wait, wait. Or is a straw just like one long continuous hole? Is that what we're saying here? His second question is a hot dog a sandwich. A hot dog is not a sandwich, but oh my god. I have never thought about that. Uh I guess it has one because it's just technically a hole with two ends on it. This is getting vaguely <laughs> vaguely bad. Uh, at Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan, what's your favorite and least favorite golf shot to hit? My least favorite is just like any of them that slice because that is most of them. My favorite is a really well-executed flop shot. 
So like when you're like really well executed with my lob wedge, if I get under that sucker and it just lands softly and trickles to within like six feet of the hole, which it does happen from time to time, uh, that's like it's just I don't know what it is about that, but it's just so. And then you like you know you do like the pro thing where you like bang the wedge against the bottom of your foot to get the grass out of it thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. We all do it, guys. Don't pretend you don't. We all do that. We pretend we're pros. At I am Eric Russell. Eric, why do we keep getting snubbed in the CFP snubbed in the CFP rankings? It's a conspiracy, man. I swear. At Philly Phillips for Goku Goku C U O G S. Opinions on if the coaching scenario moves past Dickert and made Will Cox available. What tier would you put him on? Ew, no. Mm -mm. No. I don't like look, I I never I'm never gonna be, you know, one of those guys who thinks Wazoo has their pick of coaches, but just fired from Cal. No, I don't. Mm-mm. No. I don't think Justin Wilcox would want to work either for a little bit. Because Cal's actually a sneaky, tough job. Just all the crap you gotta deal with at Cal. Um, but no, 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 thank you. Wazoo 31, Oregon 28. We'll see you guys next week on the Cook Center app.